Teaching math is hard, and it's even harder if you hate math. When you're an upper elementary teacher, you're expected to be an expert in all of the subjects. So it can be hard to reach out to other teachers when you need help. And if you don't feel supported by your admin, then it's easy to feel completely lost and hopeless when it comes to teaching math. No wonder so many people hate it. But don't worry, you're not alone. You're now part of the best unofficial math PLC for upper elementary teachers learning to love math. Hey teacher, and welcome to the Learning to Love Math podcast. I'm Brittany. I'm a STEM teacher, math tutor, and the TPT seller behind Math with Minis. In just two years, I went from basically being math illiterate to having students make two years of gains with math in my classroom. I create courses and resources like this podcast to help third to fifth grade teachers foster math hack fluency without the stress. Welcome to our PLC. Welcome back. I hope you're doing well. It is so hard to believe that now July is over. We are in August and we are getting into the full swing of the back to school season. At least we are here in Arizona. Are you going back to school yet? Definitely let me know over in the Facebook group or on Instagram at Math with Minis. I'd love to know when you go back to school because I know it runs the gamut of late July throughout August. Some folks don't go back until after Labor Day or maybe you're in a completely different part of the world. Like I know Australia has different breaks because of the season. So let me know where you're at, where you're listening from and if you're gearing up for back to school. I definitely am. So I hope that's going well for you, and I hope, I hope, hope, hope that you're not feeling any stress or anxiety. I know that the last couple of years have just been so crazy for teachers, myself included, and there's always a little bit of nervousness going back to school, but especially when things are uncertain, when we don't know what school is going to look like, maybe there are some different factors and things at your school that are making it a little more difficult. I hope not. I hope that it's a exciting, happy time. I really hope so. But in case it isn't, I just want to let you know that you're not alone, that even if nobody articulates it out loud, you might even have some fellow teachers at your school who are feeling those jitters. And I would even say more than jitters, it's not like a normal nervousness of going back to school. They might be feeling, you know, anxious and restless and just not knowing like what to expect or what to do or what even to prepare for. And I feel like that a little bit, to be honest. I mean, so much can change in a couple of days, weeks, or hours in this time that we're living in. So if that's how you're feeling, I just hope that you know that you're not alone. And I hope that you know that the students are feeling that way too. And that's not to diminish what we're feeling as teachers, but it's just to, it's a, it's a good exercise for us to remember that our students have anxiety as well. You know, for this new school year, we have some students who have been out of the classroom for two years, you know, which is, um, or almost two years, I should say, probably about 500 days, which is just absolutely wild to think about. So I hope that you're doing well, that you're taking care of yourself and that you're remembering that you're not alone. Other teachers are going through this. I'm sure even the admins, you know, even the principals are probably stressing and thinking about how they're going to keep the students, the staff, and the, you know, everyone else safe. But I hope you keep yourself safe as well and that you're looking out for yourself. Part of that is, is also being ready for the school year and kind of reviewing what we've been doing, what's working, what's not working. I think that when we start to review how we teach and how we learn and how our students learn, and we really take ourselves out of it, we take our, um, you know, any kind of offense out of the equation, and we just think, okay, how can we be better? 
that's really what a PLC is, right? It's a professional learning community of fellow educators who have committed themselves to the betterment of their profession and themselves as professionals. So I hope that's what you're feeling from this podcast, from the community on Facebook. If you haven't joined us, definitely come and join us, the Upper Elementary PLC. I'll be sure to link it in the show notes. We'd love to have you. And if you're not already following me over on Instagram, I talk about this stuff all the time there too, although I more so share um, tips for math back fluency because that's kind of my thing. But this podcast is really just about learning to love math and teaching math. So let's get into it. Today, we're talking about the gradual release of responsibility. If you haven't listened to the last episode, I would encourage you to go back and listen to that one. I talked about the 5E model and how, though it's usually attributed to science, how we can actually use that in the math classroom to spark more engagement and excitement and curiosity when it comes to teaching and learning math. But today, let's talk gradual release of responsibility. So if you've been teaching for a few years now, it's likely that you've heard of this. You might not have heard it called exactly that. You might have heard the I do, we do, you do. And I actually do it a little bit differently. <laughs> you probably already know if you've read my blogs, if you've listened to the podcast, if you talk to me at all on social media, that I like to do a modified version of Math Workshop for my math blocks. At least I have. Now I'm a STEM teacher, so things are looking a little different for me this year too. But I'm still going to be encouraging, or excuse me, implementing a lot of the math workshop into my classroom. And that also does have the gradual release of responsibility, although I usually do a check for understanding at the beginning to see where students are at and what they know, what they don't, um, and what they can recognize that they already know, you know, to construct what they already have based on the schema in their brain. But this is an overview. So really there are like four to five parts. So the first part of the gradual release of responsibility is the I do. And when I say I in this model, I'm talking about the teacher, right? So with the gradual release of responsibility, it is very heavily based on the teacher at first. The teacher is lecturing or doing direct instruction. They're explicitly teaching. And it's mostly the teacher who is taking action. The students take a, a passive but actively engaged, hopefully, role. And this time shouldn't be super long. It should be significant enough that the students understand what it is that they're learning that day, what their goal is for learning, and how they're going to demonstrate what they learn. So this is the part of the lesson where you would talk about your learning goals, your success criteria, maybe any standards you're covering for that day, and then what you're going to expect the students to be able to do or demonstrate to you to prove understanding by the end of the lesson, okay? That's the I do part. This is also when you model, you might use some manipulatives, you might um, do some drawings on the board, you might walk through a problem and just show the students, this is what you can expect from this lesson. This is what you can expect to be doing by the end of it, okay? The next part is usually what we say we do. And when I say we, I mean the students and the teacher when I'm saying we do together. So usually there's a class-wide component. So this might be where a teacher puts a problem up on the board and is now saying like, okay, let's all walk through this one. It's still pretty teacher heavy, but the students are following along at their desks and they might all be working together, right? You might have some students raising their hands. Um, this The teacher's probably breaking it up into small parts so the students can see the process slowed down. And so the students are starting to uh, take a little more participatory role in the learning, right? They're, they're walking through the algorithm. They're figuring out what is it that I'm actually gonna be doing today? Usually the next step 
is the they do together. And when I say they, I mean students working together in smaller groups or even partners. You might split this up and you might do like, okay, we do together class-wide and then they work in groups of like four or five. And then they the next step is they do in partners and then they do by themselves. You can stretch that out however you like, but it still kind of fits this theory. So when they're in groups or partners, what they're doing is they can't rely on the class-wide collective anymore, right? They're, they're a little more accountable because they have to show what it is that they know, were they listening, were they participating? And then um, they're kind of held accountable by that partner because it's harder to hide when you're a smaller group. You know, there are some folks who are shy, they may not share in the whole group classroom, but it's a little harder to do that in a small group or partner. So it's good because students are demonstrating what they know, but it's a little less of a risk than talking maybe directly to the teacher or in front of a group. Okay, and so then the next part is the you do, and that is the individual students. So this might be um, like in a math classroom when I was doing more direct instruction, you know, I actually did do this process even just like with five problems. I would do the first problem by myself, I would do the second problem with the whole class, still me kind of leading, but they're giving me feedback. Um, for the third problem, depending on how ready they were, I would have students work in groups to solve a problem and I would be walking around listening to the discussions that you're having, were they getting it, do they understand and remember what I said. And then once I saw, like if I saw most of the students weren't getting it, then I might do another problem, maybe a third one um, in their small groups and partners, right? But once I saw that most of the class was getting there, then I would say, okay, it's time to do a problem on your own. And so I would have them do a problem on their own, but then I would usually come back and say, okay, how is everybody doing? Um, what did you all get? And I might be walking around to see like, yes, no, okay, and giving them a little bit of coaching and guidance. Um, but I, ideally, I want to be able to build independent learners with the gradual release of responsibility. So students should be able to get a handle on whether or not they're really understanding the content and material. So by then they should know like, okay, I definitely need more help with this or okay, I've pretty much got this. I'm ready to work on my own. And this might be if you're doing like a direct, more direct instruction model, or if you're doing really flexible grouping, you might have students who are like, I got this definitely. You might just send them to maybe do flexible seating and now they can go finish um, some practice problems on their own because they pretty much get it. And then you might keep um, some other students back who aren't quite there yet and do more of a small group model teaching and you might you know, go back to the we do for another problem. And it's actually a really great and effective model. I love this too. So if you're still a little intimidated by Math Workshop or you're just not sure, if you wanna really relinquish that control of the classroom, I totally get it. Math centers can be really tough and it can even be tough if you're starting out. But if, if you are more of a fan of direct instruction and you wanna kind of ease into it, this is a great way to do it that's still fostering that independent learning for students, accountability and responsibility in them to help upper elementary students do more on their own. So I kind of say like step 4B or step 5, depending on who you are, is having some kind of assessment. And I mean, solid teachers are doing formative assessment all the time, right? When you're walking around and seeing how the students are doing, when you're watching them solve problems and seeing whether or not they get it, then you can, you, that's formative assessment. You're saying, okay, yes, they get this. Yes, no, they don't. Okay, I'm seeing a common misunderstanding by several students here. And then you use that data to make information and decisions in real time, right? So if you're seeing that multiple students are having the same kind of misunderstanding, then you might go back and do a whole group reteach, or you might write that down as, the main topic that you're gonna cover for your guided math groups that day if you do that. 
So yeah, that's what you do. And you might do an assessment. I mean, you might do an exit ticket. You might have them do an actual little quiz. I'm actually a really big fan of short quizzes, you know, like two to three problems. And I know a lot of teachers hear that and they're like, oh, that doesn't really give them a good chance to to fail. And it's like, actually it gives them a great chance to fail because if they, you know, if they get one wrong out of the two problems, then it shows that, you know, I still need to go over something with them because we want for them to be able to have accuracy as much as possible. And they're not going to be punished for it. It just shows me information, right? I just need to, it means I need to reteach them again. And that maybe I need to reflect a little more and think, how can I teach this more effectively? How can I do a better job here? So really short episode. I've really been digging the format of these shorter episodes. I hope that was helpful for you. If you would rather read this out in a blog post or if you liked what you heard and you want to be able to share it in text form with someone else, you can definitely do that. Check out the show notes for a link to the companion blog post for this episode. And I would love to hear from you. I would love to hear what you think about the 5E model, about the gradual release of responsibility. Maybe there's another particular learning and teaching theory that you're a bigger fan of that you think is more effective in your classroom. I would love to hear about it. If you haven't already, definitely be sure to come join us in the upper elementary math PLC group on Facebook, totally free. Or you can connect with me over on math with minis on Instagram, or you can just chat with me like anywhere else. Feel free to email me if you prefer to do that. Otherwise, thanks so much for checking out this episode and I will see or hear from you, talk with you next week. Thanks so much for hanging out with me today. I truly believe that you are absolutely capable of teaching math, that all students are capable of learning math, and that we are all capable of learning to love math.